If you have your Bibles, if you would be opening up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we will begin tonight. You know, one of the great blessings and curses of our time is social media. Most of us can probably speak of some of the benefits and some of the plagues of social media, but but one of the things that always kind of strikes me when I hear people talk about social media is that I just think that sometimes people talk about social media that don't really use social media. They don't really understand um, what it is. And, and, and I say that because sometimes I hear people talking about it as if it's, a, um, it's an arrogant thing or it's a self-promoting thing or it's a, a look-at-me sort of thing. And I suppose it can be and probably has been used in that way. But, but far more often what I see on social media are people that just want to share the things that they're excited about. I, I've seen this thing and I'm so excited I want to share it with you. Because I think you might find this beneficial. I think you might find this interesting. I think this would be worthwhile, you spending some time with us, because it was worthwhile to me. And I don't know if that's when you're experienced, but but that's personally how I like to use social media. Um, Whether it's talking about things going on in the church, or it's talking about a a movie that I saw I'm excited about, or or something that maybe I just thought, thought thought it was pretty funny stuff, right? And I want to share that with other people. You can use it in a lot of different ways. Well, what I want to talk about tonight goes back before social media, okay? It goes back all the way to the time of Christ, when all throughout the life of Christ, there were moments when, when Jesus would interact with people, and we've been talking about those different relationships and interactions that Jesus had with people, but, but Jesus in those moments said, hey, everybody needs to look at this. Everybody needs to see this because because this is going to make you think. This is going to challenge you in your faith. I mean, I know this is going on over here, but I want everybody to see it because I think that's going to be beneficial. See, there were times in the life of Jesus when Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, was impressed with what he saw in the lives of his creation. To the point that he tells others, I want to go out of my way to, to say something about that. The, the, we'll just talk about a couple. Um, actually, Chance and I were talking about, about this beforehand, and he said, well, is it this, is it this, is it this? So I said, well, no, those would all be good points to make, but we're not going to make any of those tonight, right? But, but there are three that really stick out in my mind when Jesus said, hey, look at this. And the first one was very early in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 1. And And you remember that Jesus finds himself amongst the disciples of John the baptizer. And and John, John in his own right, had thousands of followers who had followed him out into the wilderness, right? Even even after the time of Christ and after the the time of the the church, we we still find in Acts chapter 18 those people who were the disciples of John. When, uh, for example, when Paul went to Ephesus, right? There were those who, who were disciples of John, or we talked this morning about Apollos, and Apollos was eloquent and mighty in the Scriptures, but he only understood the, the baptism of John. So let us not think that John was this minimal figure. But Jesus comes amongst John's disciples, and John, John says, you remember what he says? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so this natural transition that should, should be taking place from someone being a disciple of John to being a disciple of Jesus, 
right? John said, I must, I must decrease so that he might increase. And, and John is this amazing example of humility, and that's not the whole point I'm going at, but just for context's sake, Jesus is making his way amongst the disciples of Jesus, and people are excited because, because he's the Christ. He's the one that we've been looking for. He's the one that our parents have been looking for, that our grandparents and our great-grandparents and generations for hundreds of years have, have been looking for. And, and so finally, we, we, come down, we come down to John chapter 1 and verse 45, when, well, when Philip comes, and, and, and the, listen, who would you tell if you found the Christ? Who would be the first person you would call? Who would be the first person that you would share this with? Well, in many ways, it probably family. And, and Philip, this is verse 45, Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. Well, now, Nathanael's not a perfect man, okay? And you're going to find that in his very next comment. Because the very first thing that, that, that Nathanael says is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we think about how people make assumptions and, and, and how we, we will classify people and miss out on those opportunities. We've actually talked about that quite recently, right? Um, the roots of, of modern racism, I think, can find there in, in comments like this of, you know, it's just those people from Nazareth, they're a certain way, and everybody knows that. Well, so Nathaniel is not a perfect individual, but Philip said to him, you come and see. Verse 47 is where I want us to get to. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him. And he said of him, Behold. It's a key word, right? When, when you see somebody saying that, I mean, when I, when I say, Behold, right? What am, I, what am I trying to make a point? I want you to look. I mean, I want you to actually move your eyes, pick your eyes up, right? Pick your eyes up and look at what I'm pointing at, because this is worthy of looking at, right? That, that's what that means, to behold something. Look at it. An Israelite in whom there is no guile. Kind of interesting that he had just made a comment about people in Nazareth, but, but Jesus says there's something about Nathaniel. All of the games that people play, all of the baggage that people bring. He said, I, I can tell you that underneath that, here's who Nathaniel is. Isn't it wonderful that God knows who we are? I've had people talk about me before that I hope they didn't know who I was. Okay? I mean, we probably have all had those experiences, right? I've probably talked about people before when I really didn't know who they are. But aren't we glad that Jesus does know? Right? I mean, Wes can get it wrong, but, but Christ never does. You can get it wrong, but Christ never does. He knows there's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. I want you to look at this man who when he comes, if I could paraphrase, I think what he's saying there, he just wants to do what's right. He doesn't want to come and play games. Do people play games sometimes? Even in the church? Maybe especially in the church? Certainly they do. Not Nathaniel. I don't want to be a game player. I don't, I don't want to be somebody who, who, who comes to Christ with some sort of an agenda. I, I, don't, I don't want to come and try to make him into my image. 
I just want to be someone who comes to Christ and says, and says, I just want to be what you want me to be. If you're the Christ, I want to follow you. If you're the Lord, I want to serve you. I want you to make me. I want you to mold me. Not into what I want to be, but in but what you want me to be. I think Jesus notices that. Well, I know that Jesus notices that. That that sincerity. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and verse 8. Remember? Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Some of you are saying it, right? For they shall see God. There are many people that are blind to Christ. They don't even see God in in creation because their hearts are not pure. But if our hearts are pure, we can see the things that are right in front of us. That's the person that we want to be. I don't have to fool anybody because Jesus knows. My point is, Jesus is impressed with sincerity. May we come sincerely before Him. When we come to worship, when we come to learn, may we put aside all of the politics and the baggage and, and, and the He said, She said, Let's, I just want to be what God wants me to be. Jesus sees that. Not only does he see sincerity, but secondly tonight, I want us to understand that Jesus sees faith. Faith that truly believes. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. An account that you're no doubt familiar with of a centurion who had, who had, who had, a, member, who had a member of his household who was, who was very sick. Mark chapter 7. And he did exactly what any one of us would have done. If there was someone who was sick, we go to someone who can help with that sickness. And he goes to Jesus to, to receive that healing for this one that he cares for. This one who is ready to die. But in Luke chapter 7 and verse 7, he, 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 stops, he stops himself. He stops Jesus. He says, for this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. I don't want to come before the Lord in a demanding way. I don't want to speak of what God owes me. Unfortunately, I've heard people speak in those exact words of what God owes them. That's not where this man was. This man was someone who asked asked Christ for intercession in his life, knowing full well that he didn't deserve that intercession. That's why he says, I almost didn't come. I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. But, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. So you, you just say the word, Jesus. You don't even have to go. You just say the word. You, you don't even have to go up to the hospital to visit him. You don't have to go and lay your hands on them. You don't have to go and be in their presence. I know who you are. You're the creator of all the universe. You spoke the world into existence. It's by your hand that every man breathes. So you can just say the word. And I know that he'll be healed. That's all I'm asking is for you to say the word. Interesting. Interesting. You remember when Lazarus dies? And Mary and Martha go out and they're very upset. And part of what they're upset about 
was that you didn't come sooner. Guys, did, did Jesus have to come to Lazarus to heal Lazarus? No. Did he have to come to the tomb to call Lazarus out? No. Now he did, but he didn't have to. And so this centurion understands something. See, we, we, we sometimes marvel at the power of Christ, and then even as we marvel, we limit him in the same moment. Right? This idea that, well, of course, you can heal the sick. You could even raise the dead, but you probably have to be here in order to do it. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm telling you that we, we, we do that all the time where we esteem the greatness of God, but then we limit the greatness of God. When this man says, if you just say the word, you don't even have to go there. What does Jesus say? When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. I mean, the Son of God is marveling at something. You ever marveled at something? Sean and I got to go to Yosemite um, this summer to celebrate our 20th anniversary and like to do something similar for our 21st. Um, but, but if you've ever been to, to Yosemite Valley, and Don, you, you've been there, right? And, and you come in, you come, you come through this, this big tunnel, and then you pull off the side of the road, and you just, there it is. And it's like you can't take your eyes off of it, right? I mean, listen, they don't have stuff like this in South Georgia, right? And they didn't have it in Southeast Missouri either. I mean, it's just, Wow. And you, you know, you take a bunch of pictures because I want to share this with everybody, but, but the pictures don't, they, I don't care. You could have a camera like Hubby's got and it wouldn't do it justice, right? I mean, it's just, man, you just marvel at it. The Bible says that Jesus looked at this man and he marveled at a man. But what he was marveling at was that he was seeing something that you don't see every day. He was seeing something that was so different from everyone else. He, he goes on to say, he goes on to say that he turned and he said to the multitude that was following him, I say to you that not even in Israel have I found such great faith. I mean, it would be, it would be as if we were, we were, you know, in the midst of a, of a conversation, maybe, maybe after services and and you know, Jamie says something that's just incredibly profound and insightful, and everybody's here, and I turn around and say, hey, everybody, let me get your attention for just one minute. I want you to hear what Jamie just said to me, because you don't see this every day. That's what just happened here, except it's not Wes saying everybody, it's the Son of God saying that. I mean, so this is significant. And so Jesus is marveling at this. Not just that he believes that Jesus is the Christ, not just that he believes that Jesus can heal his servant, but his understanding is of the power of God as this limitless thing. That it actually, it actually produces results. So many times we, we run this danger of learning things about Jesus, of having a lot of facts in our mind about Jesus, right? Matt, you're going to school from preaching school and they're wearing you out with facts and learning stuff you never thought you learned before, right? It's a wonderful thing and it's going to be a great tool for you, but, but you never stop with the facts. 
Paul, or the, the, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it's impossible to please him because, because what? Because we, must, we who come to him must not only believe that he is, right? But what? Next step. But that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, real faith is not just saying, oh, I believe in God. Of course, I'm going to be at church on a Sunday night because that's what I do. Beyond that. Real faith, the type of faith that, that gets the attention of Jesus, is the type of faith that says, that says, I believe that God is and that he actually impacts my life to the point that I'm going to make decisions that are going to reflect and insist on him impacting my life. This man walks away from Jesus saying, it's, it's done. He doesn't even have to show up. That's faith. To pray about things that are certain to fail if the hand of God is not involved in them might be a good indication of how deep our faith really goes. That's the type of faith that not only believes, but the type of faith that believes that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. To believe that he really will care for our needs. In those moments when we wonder how our needs are going to be met. A faith that, that believes that he really will answer our prayers. A faith that believes that he really is going to come again. To the point that we make major decisions in our life based upon that understanding. When I make, the, when I make choices about what I'm going to do for a living. About where I'm going to live. About who I'm going to marry. About, about what I'm going to do on the weekend. About where I'm going to invest my life. Those are big choices, right? But I don't make those choices just based on what I see. Listen, I need to make those choices based upon faith. Young people, make those choices based upon faith. God is that component that Jesus marveled at here. One more, and, and then we'll be done. Jesus is impressed with those who sacrifice. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. These are very real people, right? Jesus interacting with and saying, you need to look at this. Mark chapter 12 and verse 41. By the way, we all know these things, but I want us to think about these interactions. Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and he saw how the people put money into the treasury. Interesting. Um, uh, this, you don't ever want to know what people are giving. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental problem. I, I think I told Donna once that there was a, um, one of our deacons would always write like a written ledger of who gave what, and they left it on the front pew. I was preaching at a small country church, and man, I wish I'd never looked at that piece of paper, okay? Because I'm just not really able to handle that information in my head. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing here, okay? So he's watching. Okay, what you putting in over there? Uh-huh, I see this. And, and, and you see all, all of these different things, right? And you know this. And there were many who were rich who put in much. I mean, there were some people writing some big checks. And, and as, uh, as God has blessed you more, many of you are able to give very generously, right? Um, yeah, I mean, my wife gets paid once a month. This was the first of the month. We, we got to put in a big check today, Right? I kind of, I mean, I kind of, yeah, I put in a big one today. Donald had to like write me a receipt on that one, but it's two people's incomes that are going together there. But, but this idea that, that that's what was going on. There were people who had been blessed much. They were giving much. And one poor widow came 
and threw in two mites. Two mites. Just a fraction of a penny. We talk about pennies, it's probably less than a penny. To be quite honest, if you saw a grown-up put in two pennies into the collection plate, what, what would you think? What would, if you saw me next Sunday put in two pennies in the collection plate, what, what would you think? I mean, I think that's pretty sad, right? Two pennies? I'm thinking you can do better than that, right? I mean, I'm just I'm being real honest. That's probably what I would think. Jesus sees this. And the Bible says, he called his disciples to himself. Once again, hey, we're right there. We're in the middle of the collection, right? Um, Joe's passing the plate down the center aisle, and this person puts in two pennies, and, and he stops everybody right there and says, hey, hey everybody, you got you to gotta look at this, right? I mean, I mean like, what's he about to say? You're about to call out this woman for only putting in two pennies? Because that would seem inappropriate too, right? And look what he does. Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all these who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Do you understand what, what he's trying to get at here? That, that, that God, God expects us to give as he's blessed us, right? But here's the deal. The more that we've been blessed, the harder it becomes for us to sacrifice. Do, do we understand that? And, and, and the more that we've been blessed, the more that ought to really make us think. The more that we've been blessed, the harder it becomes for us to sacrifice I spent, I spent $60 on lunch this afternoon. I told you it was outrageously overpriced, Doug. $60 on lunch. Okay, there was a time that if I'd put $60 in the collection plate, it might have broke me for a month. But I'm going to be okay. Why? I've been blessed more. Right? To, 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 to understand that, the more that you have the harder it becomes to sacrifice, right? Ellie, if you had to give me $60, would that, would that be a sacrifice for you? Yeah, okay, unless you're one of those savers. You probably got more money than I got. But, but this, this, <laughs> this idea, Presley, if you had to give $60, that would be a sacrifice? Yeah, because you can find out a saver like Ellie. So this, this, this idea of, Jesus, I want you to see this. I'm not impressed with the big check. I'm impressed with the widow who gave everything. Sometimes you've heard people say, well, I, I just give the widow's mite. No, it's not special because it's small. It's special because it's everything. You don't give the widow's mite unless you give everything. I've never done that. Okay, I don't know, maybe you have, but I've never done that. Christ sees something that we don't see. He sees sacrifice. We wonder, maybe no one sees the sacrifice, whether we're talking about money or, or time or energy or social standing or all those things that, that our Christianity can call us to give up. But Christ sees it, and he says, that, 
That right there is what I want everybody to see. He wants to see a people. He wants the world to be drawn to a people who have no guile within them. But they just stand before him saying, I just want to please my God. A group of people who have faith that not only believes that he is, but that he is a rewarder. That he will actually work in our lives and that I make decisions in my life depending upon his hand. A group of people who not only live their lives for themselves, but that live their lives sacrificing at their own cost for his glory. You want to get the attention of the creator of all the world? You live your life like that. You want to shine a light into a world of darkness? You live a life like that. So that the world, not so they'll see you, but so that they'll see Christ living in you. Friends, if you're here tonight, the Son of God invites you to be born again. To take your sin and wash it away. To, to be immersed, to, be, to have your sins washed away by His blood. To have your sins forgiven as you repent. To have your burdens carried by one who is able to carry them. You come and you follow him. You do it tonight as we stand and as we sing.